Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today we need much more than hope. We need swift, concrete, and resolute actions. Well, you can hear the urgency as Ukrainian officials sensing the dire situation now right outside their, you know, their country's doorstep. They're warning the world of what's to come. They're telling their own people to flee to safety. And we have an enormous Ukrainian community in Canada. Over 1.4 million came to this country to find safety and freedom, but they've all got family back home in Ukraine, right in the direct path of this threat. And those people have lived there with this threat for years. And so there are a lot of people who will not leave Ukraine, some because they can't get out. It's too chaotic, but many feel a great sense of patriotic duty to protect their homeland, no matter Russia's strength. And they will put their life on the line to stand up to Russia's aggression. Peter Stern is head of Ukrainian Canadian Congress and also co-leader of Stand with Ukraine movement. This is a hashtag campaign to get the world to stand with Ukraine. He joins us now. Good to have you, Peter. Thank you. Your wife has family that lives right in this rebel area that Putin has just declared as independent. So this is a rebel area. Uh, It's just outside Donetsk. And it's about 100 kilometers from where shelling is taking place. This has got to be the most uh, stressful time. Kind of characterize what it's like to be so far away and yet so close to something. Oh, it's uh, it's 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 just the emotions, uh, the the fear, the the heartbreak. Um, my wife has been trying for the last uh, few days to get through. Uh, they're they're not inside that area. And I'll just correct you. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't call it a rebel area because uh, prior to 2014, there was absolutely no separatist or re- rebel movement in Ukraine until Russia invaded to Crimea and then, of course, a portion of uh, of uh, eastern Ukraine. Um, so there, there was there was never any um, uh, movement to, to to create any kind of turmoil within Ukraine. Ukrainians, even Ukrainians of Russian descent, just wanted to live live, live peacefully as other parts of the world and wanted their democracy to flourish. But in terms of, well, I think family, that's important because that that is part of the propaganda. Where if if you don't know, um, you know the details, it can easily become part of the narrative, which is what Putin wants. Which is exactly why they created false yeah. republics, right? So yeah. they call them. So this, the Donbass is made out of two major regions, Donetsk and Luhansk. Those are two major urban centers, a huge industrial area. It's one of the biggest coal outputters in, and steel uh, producers in all of uh, Eastern Europe. So um, it's also strategically, it's, it's an important piece of area for the economy. And so they they went in there and created this false pretense that there's a war, which they've done in other parts of the world. They've done the same thing in Chechnya. They've done the same thing in Georgia and and created this false narrative that there's some kind of separatist movement. We're going to create these artificial republics, which the other day he actually recognized. And now they're going in to protect them and to help them. So they're moving troops right. in. And they're also claiming a much larger area that they control. Ukraine was actually very effective with their own volunteer army eight years ago, stopping them from advancing any further, because that's clearly what they wanted to do. But uh, so they were able to f- effectively fight them off. But now, with 
10 times as many troops being lined up on the border. The latest reports say close to 200,000, which is three quarters of his fighting uh, standing army right now. Uh, clearly, the, motiv- the motivation is to provoke something and create a major conflict and justify it in front of his own people. Yeah, and from what we have been told, Peter, so far from the United States and our NATO allies is that this could be very bloody. Uh, It will create an enormous humanitarian crisis. And so I think a lot of people here in Canada, um, and you probably, you and your wife have had to explain, you know, why wouldn't these people get out sooner if they had the opportunity? Why would they stay? Is it a sense of patriotism? Is it a sense of um, that they can stand up to Russia? What is it? Well, of course, there's that, right? Ukrainians are, 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 are like many people in the world. They're proud patriots. They're proud of their heritage. They're proud of their language, their culture, which, by the way, is completely different than Russian. Uh, we just all happen to have the same alphabet. So I tell people it's like French and English, right. same alphabet, but we're not the same people. So uh, obviously that's important. But at the same time, we have to realize Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. It's actually slightly larger than France territorially, and it's 40 million people. Where are 40 million people going to go if there's a war? So what you've had is people displace themselves. I have friends and family that, you know, were in Kiev, actually uh, expatriates that moved from Canada. They got jobs in Ukraine, and they're sending their family into western Ukraine right now, which they believe will be a safer area because it will be much further away from any kind of invasion. But the men, a lot of them, are staying back. And today I see lineups in front of uh, uh, offices where the, the middle-aged men are signing up and conscripting to join the army because, as you know, under the old Soviet Union, most of them had military experience because they had to ser- everyone had to serve two years. So all Mm -hmm. of these men and a lot of women know how to use a rifle, know how to fight. But to think in this day and age, in in a fledgling democracy that's been truly independent for 30 years and wants nothing more than to be part of Europe, be part of uh, a liberal democracy, to join the rest of the civilized world, has actually to look at defending themselves by finding weapons and joining the army just to defend against a neighbor that really just wants to rebuild an old empire. Yeah, and and I've heard these stories where you've got grandparents, uh, kids, um, you know, middle-aged people, women, men, who are picking up arms, to your point, and they will defend, and they will pay their lives uh, to defend this country. And is there a feeling, Peter, um, that no matter what happens, obviously things are going to change. Um, Ukraine, which has lived under the threat of Russia for, for many, many years, uh, either Ukrainians are going to be living under a dictatorship or a communist rule or, you know, whatever rule that Putin wants to put on it. Uh, but is there a sense that, you know, all is lost after, you know, they enter the country officially? I mean, what is the sense of what Ukraine looks like in the future right now? Well, not at all. Um, you know, it's uh, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm kind of I, I kind of compare it to to Vietnam. Um, you, you know, Russia might be able to come in with their overwhelming firepower from the air, particularly uh, from their rockets. But if it becomes a ground war, um, you know, Ukraine has already 220,000 soldiers in the, in the military, over 400,000 reservists. Um, yeah. And today wow. I saw a report that there's at least in the last few years, 700,000 people have registered 
are registered weapon owners, not to mention the ones that aren't registered. So there is no way you can subjugate a country of 40 million people when everybody's willing to stand up to you. And clearly, it's, it's, it's that. Do you want to live? Most people that were around back in the days of the Soviet Union knew what that was like. <laughs> no one wants to ever. They don't go want back to go back. Under that. Yeah. And you can't. After you yeah. survive through that, why would you say, okay, I'm prepared to give up everything uh, just so I don't die? And I think that's, yeah. that's the thing that the, the Russians are underestimating. Yeah, and I think that's why we get so much emotion. Uh, certainly when I, when I see the protesters in the convoy, whatever, when you talk to those who come from Eastern Europe, they say, hey, don't take your freedoms for granted ever. We know what we escaped and we don't want to lose it here. And so I think people laugh that off, but there is such a strong, you know, memory of that and connection to, to that kind of authoritarian. It's interesting, though, Peter, there are a lot of implications, not just economy, uh, not just gas and fuel and all those things that go with this and the human life life loss. There's a bigger implication for the world that, you know, this could tip China to to going after Taiwan. And so there's, you know, there are there are other groups I find interesting that are starting to stand with your your organization, like the Tibetans or even the Taiwanese who are who are coming together at this time to push back. Uh, We don't we haven't seen that before. This is very true. It's uh, we we've always had friends. Uh, the, we've always been close with uh, the Baltic communities. We've been close uh, with the Polish community. We've had all kinds of you know. We all had, you know being from former communist countries. There was an awful lot of understanding within the communities. But yesterday we had a rally in front of the Ukrainian consulate just to show our support. We had about three hundred yeah. plus people show up. And uh, what was interesting is we did have the Taiwanese there. We had Albanians mm. there. You know, we had Belarusians there. So, and it was interesting, the Taiwanese, in their little uh, speech, said, we know that if Ukraine falls, Taiwan is next. Mm -hmm. Because the green light is now to any authoritarian ruler to say, well, if the West is not going to react, I'm going to take what I want. And and I use this example and say, this Ukraine is the Poland of 1939. In 1939, the Western allies... Mm -hmm really weren't overly concerned when Germany took Poland. And we know how that ended. It doesn't yeah. end at one place or one country. Putin's goal, Russia's goal, is to bring back their sphere of influence, which includes all of Eastern Europe. Now, do we want that? Mm-hmm. The next step will be NATO would have to get involved because if the Baltics yeah. get attacked or Poland gets attacked, well, we're now talking about a world war, essentially. So we believe it's much Very. better to deal with this now, stop them in the bud, make, make the Russians realize that their leader is leading them down a path that is not only bad for their neighbors, but horrific for them as well. No question about it. It is a very, very frightening time. And of course, um, we're thinking of you, your family, and we'll keep talking about it and giving them a voice here. So I thank you, Peter, so much. Uh, wishing your wife well, and I, uh, we'll talk again, I'm sure of it. Thank you very much, Alex. Peter Stern is with the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, just one of many, many, many groups here, you know, representing Ukrainians who have you know, make this their home and very much have a connection to what happens. So we are going to watch this and we will be talking about this because it is not a small thing.